Let's pray together once more. Father, now we have the privilege of opening your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Though there are depths that we will take the rest of our lives understanding, you've also made it simple. You've spoken to us like a father speaks to his children who wants to be understood and loved and trusted. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the inevitable questions in these days is, are these troubles we're going through, is this a sign of the times? Are these, in fact, the last days? The answer is unequivocal. We're about to open the Bible, and I'm going to show you. Yes, absolutely, these are the last days. The reason for that is simple. In biblical language, the last days begin from the moment Jesus finishes his work, living and dying and rising from the dead in our place and returns to the Father. From that moment forward, the last days are now open. The Bible is explicit about this. And I want to invite you to, as so many of us have had to do in this strange time, to adjust your thinking a little bit. Uh, my wife is absolutely amazing at this. Um, she was raised by one of the godliest, wisest men that's ever walked the earth, and, and my, my father-in-law, Cecil, so good at reframing the same set of facts with faith, with positivity, with love, to see even in real suffering and real trouble, he always somehow sees opportunity. In the same way, the Bible is continually, once you see it, you'll see it everywhere, inviting us to change our attitude regarding the last days, to think less about the signs of the times and think more about how we should behave, what we should do in the last days. Here's a, for instance, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, the disciples see the risen Lord and they think the light has dawned on them. They say, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they said, we, we thought you were going to be a conqueror, but they killed you instead. But now you're back from the dead. You've risen from the dead as we celebrated last Sunday and we celebrate every Sunday. Does this mean now is the time? And Jesus essentially says, Garner paraphrase, it's not for you to know, but you're going to be my witnesses. In other words, don't ignore the signs of the time, certainly not that. Be aware, rather, that you're already in the last times and focus on your behavior. And if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I want you to look in 1 Peter chapter 4 with me. I get my own Bible opened here to 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter is speaking to people who are already suffering for Christ. They have literally been dispersed. He refers to them in the first few words of the letter as those, those elect who are exiles in the dispersion. In other words, these are Christians who have been scattered because of their faith. They've lost home. They've lost family. They've lost income. Their very lives are in danger. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, you have been grieved by various trials. In other words, you're getting hit from all directions, and maybe that's what this whole thing has felt like to you. It's a, what now? What next? There's always something. It's Murphy's Law that anything that could go wrong will, and there's a corollary that somebody taught me that it will also go wrong at the worst possible time. Maybe that's been your experience. 
And this letter, 1 Peter, is written to suffering Christians to tell them how to think and how to behave in times of trouble, and specifically in the last days that have already begun. Look with me, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. You should be able to see very clearly what I mean. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. If we were in church, I would hear pages turning. Somebody might be looking under the pew because they forgot their Bible at home. Okay, we're ready. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what Peter told these suffering Christians, grieved by different trials. The end of all things is at hand. There it is. One simple declarative sentence, yes, these are the last days. Yes, you are living in the days before the return of Christ. He could come at any moment, the end of all things as is at hand. And then he says, therefore, and then he tells them how to adjust their attitude and how to adjust their behavior. In other words, he answers the question, what should we do in the last days? Here's our instructions, church. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You can say this aloud at home if you want to make this a little bit more interactive. My number one Bible reading tip is when you're reading the Bible, slow down. Peter says, yes, absolutely, you're going through fiery trials. You have been grieved in different kinds of ways by different kinds of troubles. The reason is the end of all things is at hand. Here's what we're going to do about it. He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded, but don't miss the connection. The point of being self-controlled and sober-minded, in other words, the point of keeping your head up and keeping your head on a swivel is for the sake of your prayers. In other words... Since the end is upon us, we need first, the very first thing Peter instructs suffering people living in the last days is, number one, be serious about prayer. Don't panic, pray. The point of keeping your wits, the point of keeping your head on straight is not yet to take action, but first to pray. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, because I don't know if it happens to you, it happens to me, when unexpected pressure and stress crash into my life, this is embarrassing to admit, but it's the truth, so I'll just tell you, the first thing that sometimes goes out the window is to turn to God in prayer. I'll get busy, I'll call people, I'll work harder, I'll sit down and think, I need to do all of those things, but Peter says, first, be self-controlled and sober-minded so that you can pray. What about you? Is prayer your first and instinctive reaction? You see, it's not a false dichotomy between taking action and working and praying. It's both. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and, but Peter says, prayer comes first. In a time of crisis, in a time of grief, when it's one thing after another, when you're getting slammed from all directions, Peter says, keep your cool so that you can pray. Years ago, I may have told you I was on a whitewater rafting trip with some men in the men's ministry. Uh, the greatest adventure probably for most of them was my driving up in the mountains. I hadn't been in the U.S. that long. I still had some, uh, shall we say, independent-minded 
and creative ideas about, about driving. And we went up to um, a, a river that was just barely, the guides told us, uh, we're right on the edge of, of closing this down. This is, a, this is a wild time. It's usually not this bad, but we just had uh, a lot of rain. We had a storm, so it's very full, very wild. Good luck to you. Best wishes as you, as you face your own death. And I really thought we might bury someone on the side of the river. We hit a hole going into some colorfully named rapid, Devil's Gulch, or say goodbye to your family. I don't remember exactly what it was called, but it was terrible. And we, our boat hit, our raft hit the hole, and one of my friends, good friend to this day, he didn't fall out of the boat. He was hurled out of the boat. I mean, he went over my head and proceeded to shoot the rapids without the benefit of the boat, which is, as you know, not recommended. Uh, He turned to look back to us. He was so far from us, there was absolutely nothing we could do for him. And I actually thought, am I going to conduct some kind of Riverside memorial service here when we never see him again? And everybody, of course, watching our friend be swept away, disappeared from our sight, everybody stopped rowing. And some experienced person from the back, probably the guide, shouted, start rowing or you're all going with him. Well, that was a very helpful instruction. We dug in, we got through it. He was retrieved, he was shaken, but safe. And that's the same sort of thing that Peter is advising here. Because the pressure is on, because you're being grieved in all kinds of different ways, keep your wits, keep your head on straight, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Corey Tin Boom, who some of you have been reading her book from a recommendation a few weeks ago, asked this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Too many of us treat prayer as a spare tire. It's something we keep in reserve so that when our plans don't work out and disaster strikes, then we go to prayer. Corey Ten Boom, who survived the Holocaust herself after hiding and saving Jewish families in in the Nazi occupation of her homeland, she said prayer should be not your spare tire, it should be your steering wheel. So in the last days, first, pray. And maybe you have been, haven't been through this. Maybe you've been more focused on grocery shopping and making sure you have the essentials like rice and toilet paper and making sure your kids are staying up to speed somehow with their education. All of those things are important, but please begin and be serious about prayer first. Then Peter says in verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Pray first, calm down so that you can pray, and then, Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly. Number two, love each other more intentionally than ever. The greatest thing your home needs right now is not to keep up with the kids' schoolwork. It's not to buy the needful food or supplies that are beginning to be scarce. And if that's the case, let us know. We're here to help. But the greatest thing your home, your family, your relationships, your circle of friends, whoever you can meet with, whoever you're in touch with, what is most needed now is love, intentional love. Love at, someone translated this verse, love at full strength. 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That word earnestly is very deliberate in the Greek language that Peter used to describe it. It describes a sprinter straining for the tape at the end of the race, every muscle straining to win. In other words, the love that Peter is admonishing us to have is not a casual thing. It's not a if-I-have-time thing. It is intentional. It is purposeful. It is intense. It is sacrificial, and it is intended to cover the sins of the other person. What does that mean? It means that you're going to overlook them. It means that you're going to forgive them. It means that you're going to love the other people in your life with such intensity, with such devotion, with such strength that you're going to love them in a way that covers their sins, their faults against you. It's inevitable for those who are cooped up, we're going to get on each other's nerves. There's there's just no other way about that. It's, it's kind of a, a cruel in two ways, this quarantine. Some people are desperately lonely. Other people can't wait to get out, to get away from people. And most of us are on a seesaw between both of those experiences. What will cover all that? How can that be healed? How can people be sustained? How can people, as we're hearing, thrive in spite of that kind of pressure. Love can do all that. Only love can do all that. Earnest, focused, disciplined love that puts the other person first as a matter of priority, it covers a multitude of sins. But that's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Years ago, I thought I gave up on this because it was, a, it was an abject failure, as I'm going to tell you. I had a little, uh, just a homely, homey little lesson on love. My wife and I both uh, read. She, frankly, may read more than I do. And I thought it would be a romantic idea to go to the Huntington Beach Public Library, which is magnificent, and I can't wait till it reopens, and bring her some books back that she would enjoy. I want to give you just a moment to soak that in. Think about the romance. Think about the self-sacrifice, think about the kind of man who goes to the library. I'm kidding, by the way, if that's not coming across online. But the whole point of this effort is to go to the library, not to bring her back books I like, but to bring her back some books that I think she'll like. Peter also said in this letter to uh, live with your wife in an understanding, wise way. So I thought, I know who she is. I know what she likes. I'll bring her some books. And I made, I think, three trips And she very politely, if you know my wife, she's a very sweet woman, she very politely looked them over, smiled sweetly, no sarcasm, just genuine gratitude. She understood the effort and said, no, thank you, I'm I'm, I'm fine. I'm very happy with what I'm reading right now. Thank you very much, really appreciate it. And I tried this again and again. And I think it was the third try, I said, well, bullets aren't working, maybe a shotgun approach. I got six books out at once across a wide variety of issues, and I said, now, one of these is going to connect. I brought them home. I laid them out. I said, what do you think? She politely looked them over and yet again said, thank you. I'm I'm really happy with what I'm reading right now. And it hurt my feelings. Have you ever had your feelings hurt? Happened to me. And because my feelings were hurt, I said, 
to her with a great deal of haughtiness, well, Sharice, you know, we, we just like different things. And I meant it to sting. Just like that, she said, well, we both love you. And it was the single greatest moment, perhaps, in our entire relationship. Because she was right. Who cares if my efforts are succeeding or not? If she's the point, I just need to keep trying or do something else. Bring chocolate, that always works. The point of love is it moves the focus off you and it puts the focus of care on the other person. When you love the other person with earnestness, with sincerity, when you love them earnestly, you will cover a multitude of sins. It is only love that can save our relationships from sin's damages. That's why verse 8 is here. So, Peter says, calm down and pray. And now that you've talked to your father, look around you and make sure that you love other people with earnest intensity. Then he says in verse 9, something that we actually have a hard time obeying in a pandemic. Look in verse 9. Peter said, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And some people have told me, and there's been some very funny things on the internet that they are now regretting that they were the person who always said no to invitations to go out to be with people and to do things. I had a friend tell me, I'm, I'm saying yes to every single thing I'm invited to from here on out. I'll be so grateful to go with anybody anywhere that I'm, I'm just going. That's a Christian virtue, actually. Hospitality, welcoming people into your life, into your home, showing hospitality to one another, is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian because God in Christ is a welcoming God. He's so hospitable, he opened up heaven at the cost of the death of his own son. Jesus laid down his life for sinners, for law-breaking people who were ignoring him. He laid down his life to turn people who were behaving as God's enemies and make them into God's own children and God's own friends to be welcomed into God's home forever. We can give people a pale but beautiful view of the hospitality and the welcome of God by being hospitable to one another. And again, that's not easy. If you've ever welcomed people closely into your life, into your own home, you know why Peter said, do this without grumbling. Because when you're trying to be in close fellowship with other people, grumbling is just around the corner. I've been both the recipient and occasionally sometimes the person who offers hospitality, and it's not simple, it's not easy for a single person on earth. That's why Peter said, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So at Crosspoint, here's a very simple invitation. When this thing is over, let's be as hospitable and open to one another as we always should have been. Folks who aren't really into group life, who aren't that devoted to fellowship, you don't have to know everyone. You don't have to put your life and your stuff out in front of everyone, but you need a few friends. You need a few people who are looking out for you. You need a few people who will text and call and check on you to bear this burden with you. Life's hard. I don't know if you've noticed. A wise man Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman said that 
Pain shared is divided and joy shared is multiplied. I don't know if he was appealing to the Bible by making that observation, but it's true. Hospitality, the humble welcome of other people into our lives and into our homes, multiplies joy. It eases burdens. It multiplies all that is good and eases all that is bad about life. So when this is over, let's make a commitment now to not get back to normal. Let's start doing what we always should have been doing as hospitable followers of Jesus. And then Peter closes, and so do I. Notice his focus. In these last days, Peter says, first, turn to God. And having calmly, peacefully prayed your way through the storm, then look at others and love them because that's the only way sin is going to be erased between you if you love each other earnestly. Show that love further by being hospitable, by being open and welcoming to each other. And now that you're in fellowship together, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Slow down. Look at that again. As each has received a gift, and there is a very clear biblical idea, every person in God's family is gifted. Every person in God's family has been gifted. There are many different kinds of spiritual gifts and abilities that God gives to his children, but there's not a single person listening anywhere in the world in no period of God's history has he allowed one of his children without receiving, to go without receiving gifts from him. But look at the purpose of the gift that God gave you. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I want you to see a connection that I think here is purposeful in Peter's writing. You've each turned to God. You've decided to love one another. You've welcomed in this time of suffering. You've welcomed each other into one another's lives and homes. You're trying to do that without grumbling. And each of you also remember, each of you has a gift. And the point of your gift is to serve someone else. Because you are a steward. You are a manager of God's grace, which is varied and here's what I think Peter is doing. He's tying the first chapter with the fourth. He says, you have been grieved by various trials, but if you stick together, you can experience God's varied grace. What will you need to get through suffering? You will need things that only other believers can give you. You will need a community of believers around you because some of your Christian friends and people on the journey with you, they will be greatly gifted at listening. They will be empathetic the way Jesus is empathetic. Others will not be gifted to listen, but they will be gifted more to confront and to be clear and to be strong with you and corrective with you, which maybe your empathetic friend could not. Others will be, will be gifted and especially called and burdened and skilled to come alongside and cry with you. Others will be there to tell you that it's time to dry your tears and keep walking forward with Jesus. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is the head of the body and he places the gifted members, each with their own role, in the body where he pleases. That's a picture of the church. That's a picture of this church. We all need each other to experience all that God has for us. You can't experience all of God's grace without an encounter with all of God's people. So, number four, we want to serve one another with what God has given us. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. In other words, if you're going to speak, make sure you use God's words. Don't vent your opinions. Tell them the truth. Use Scripture. Remind them of God's truth. Speak in God's place. Not to correct, but to announce what God has already said. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In other words, all these gifts come from God. The point I've been trying to make is we want to serve one another with what God has given us because the gifts that God gave you are meant to help someone else. This is one of the confusions regarding giftedness. People who are self-centered, who are not walking with Jesus, think that their gift is meant for them, and it's not. It's meant to help someone else, and the gifts that God gave you are meant to bring Him glory, not to make you famous. Sometimes we see this on social media, and sometimes, regrettably, it's disciples of Jesus who are doing it using lighting and consultants and who knows what all effects, they curate their life and curate a moment to look superhumanly amazing at the peak of their success. And then at the bottom, they'll put this little hashtag, hashtag blessed. Have you seen this? Hashtag gifted. Well, no one should begrudge anybody else any blessings or any gifts but mark the difference. If you're blessed, if you're gifted with whatever you have, the ability to speak and remind people of what God said, if you're gifted, as so many of you clearly have been through this crisis, to quietly serve others with the strength that God supplies, remember, it's called a gift because you didn't earn it. It's used for a short time in your life. You are its steward. You are its manager, but you don't own it. The gift along with you will someday be recalled. And the point of the gift is to serve others and not to make yourself famous. Like the Instagram influencer might be trying to create some fame and some buzz. The point of all this is to make God glorified. Verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. The point of us, every one of us, those of us who have been gifted, and we all have been, of living and serving this way is this, in order that in everything, in all circumstances, times good and bad, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If you're using your gifts correctly, you're making God look as he is. You're making him look good. If you use your gift of loving service and mercy to others, you are portraying to the world a loving, service-oriented, sacrificial, loving God. 
If you're using your gift of plain, loving, truth-telling, you are reminding people of the holiness and the righteousness of God. Which one of those people do you need in your life? You need them both. You need them all. And the point of it all is that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ because, Peter says, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what should we be doing? We should recognize that these are, in fact, the last days. We should be devoted to prayer. We should be intensely, purposely loving one another to cover the other person's sins. We should decide now that we will be welcoming and close and open to one another physically as soon as we can, and we will begin to be as hospitable and welcoming digitally as we can right now, and we should serve God with all of our strength, with all that He has given us, so that He looks as good as He actually is. In other words, in these last days, church, we should seek God and love others. We should turn to him, and because we have turned to him and we have heard from him, we should move in loving service to one another. So let me ask you a final question. Christian, have you been living as Peter told you to in these last days? Have you, through this crisis, this national, this global pandemic, have you sought God and you, have you sought to love others? If you haven't, don't waste a moment more in shame or disappointment with yourself. Turn to God right now. Tell him that you've heard his word, that you've received correction, you've received encouragement, whatever he gave you that's focused you and encouraged you. Turn to him right now and tell him about it. And when this broadcast is over, you close your Bible, you turn to the people around you in your own home or in your small world now. Turn to them to love them in the name of Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, really, this is what it's all about. You will seek in vain for answers. But you have a Savior who loves you, who came not only to set an example, but to be your substitute to sacrifice his life to the point of death so that you could call Jesus your boss, your savior. You were a lawbreaker and a rebel. You were paying no attention to God, but when you were weak, Christ died for you, the godly for the ungodly. And if this crisis, if this is what it takes to finally break down your pride and bring you to the savior so that you're welcomed into the family of God, it may be hard now, but you'll recognize soon and certainly in eternity that every trial, every fear, everything this has cost you has been well worth it because you've been welcomed into the family of God. So if you need Christ, I'm going to invite you to turn to him in simple, heartfelt, humble repentance. Maybe this message wasn't really intended to be evangelistic, to present you all the glories of the cross of Christ on the cross and through the empty tomb. But maybe you've been putting it off. Maybe you've heard the good news, but you've refused it. I'm inviting you now to turn to him and be saved. And if you're already his disciple, to take this moment, take these lessons and live fully and lovingly and prayerfully and with service and with hospitality so that we go through, through this together and we realize with gratitude when it's over. Our Father was with us all along in these last days, and he made us better. He made us more like Christ as he guided us through this valley. 
Let's pray now. Father, if there's a single person here who has been too proud to turn to you and in simple, humble repentance tell you they are sorry for sin, they've recognized they've broken your laws, they've wandered far from you, they've been rebellious to you, but now is their time. This is their day. Hey, I thank you for them. And I pray that you would give them the grace to turn to you and be saved right now. I pray, Lord, that they would also let us know that so that we can rejoice with them and share, multiply that joy as we hear of another person that you've rescued. And for the many hundreds, Lord, who knows, maybe thousands of people who are listening and watching and worshiping with us who are your disciples, help us live this way. Help us in these last days to seek you and love others that you may receive all the glory which you deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Cross Point Church, friends across the world, a new week beckons. What will it bring? Only God knows. But you can trust him because God is good. And we're gonna be praying for you. We're going to be loving you and serving you as best we can. Again, if you have a need, please let us know. We would love to hear that. We would love to know that. Connect with us somehow any way you choose to let us know if God has spoken to you, if God has blessed you, or if you're in a time of trial and need and you need us to come alongside and serve you. From our family and from the amazing, small, little, dedicated, courageous group of people who are in this room making this happen, they're all masked up. They're staying away from each other, but they are serving you and serving all of us, working together to make this happen. We wish you all of God's best, all of his grace, all of his peace. And remember, he loves you with an eternal love, and we are here to serve you as best we can in his name. God bless you. Much love from this family of faith to yours. We will see you soon.